hello, I'm Lindsay. I am the Children and Families Pastor at Skylark Church in Chelmsford and it is my honour and privilege to be able to share with you um, a message today. So the first thing I want to do is just pray and commit this time to God. So Father, I just welcome you here. Father, I pray that by your grace, and your mercy, Lord Jesus, you would speak to us today. Father, you would speak through the words that I've prepared. Lord, I pray that you would, um, that they would be your words that I share today, Father. I pray that you would bring new life and new revelation to people as they listen. I pray that you would bring your word, your Bible, um, to life in a new way for people and maybe for the, the first time today. Lord, we just want you to be glorified, Father, in, in all we do. Amen. So, we are looking at um, the theme of Jesus, follow him. So we're coming to the end of the, the series um, and I wanted to kind of frame the whole following and uh, particularly taking on the, the position of being able to be led by someone and what that's been like for, for me personally. Um, I've been in many situations where I've had to follow people, as indeed I'm sure you have too. Um, whether that's been in a work context with line managers or supervisors or in a church context or in any kind of situation where I've needed advice or guidance from somebody that might have more experience or more knowledge about something than I do, however big or small those situations might be. Now, if I'm being really honest, sometimes I've respected and trusted those people or that person, and sometimes I haven't. And that has impacted the extent to which I follow them or the extent to which I allow myself to be led by them. So in life, for me, in order to follow someone and have them lead me, then the more I need to know them, like them, trust them, respect them, and then the more I can put my faith in them. And with Jesus, it has been no different. I was brought up in a Christian family. Both my sets of grandparents, aunts, uncles, extended family. We all went to church. I was brought up in that kind of environment. But for everybody... Whether you've shared a similar history with church and with faith as me, or whether you're brand new to this, maybe this is the first kind of church thing you've listened to during lockdown, or maybe you've never set foot in a church before, or maybe you go at Christmas and Easter and those kind of holidays. 
however it looks for you, it has to be a personal relationship between you and God. And for me, it was no different. So in order to allow myself to follow Jesus and be led by him, like fully, I needed to know him. Like we've heard in the previous seasons and even more recently when Gav shared and Pete shared, it all comes down to relationship with Jesus. So for me to be able to build my relationship with Jesus, I needed to get to know him in order for me to follow him. Now, there's um, a, an event in the Bible, a passage that appears that for me, um, I just love it because It's an interesting one because I would hasten to bet that anybody um, who knows anything about Jesus, whether they've been in church or not, would have heard and would have known this story. Just like with Noah's Ark, with um, the Christmas story, Easter story, um, most people would know about when Jesus turned water into wine. Now, the fact I'm talking about wine might say more about how I've done in lockdown than anything else, but hopefully not. Um, But there is um, a passage in the Bible. Now, it only actually appears in one of the Gospels in the book of John. So the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And uh, it's right at the beginning in chapter two. Now, I, the more I read this passage, the more I learn about the character of Jesus. And to start off a relationship, we need to know who we're entering into a relationship with. What is that person like? And um, So that's where I'm going to base this talk this morning in terms of following Jesus. And who is it that we are following? Now, the turning the water into the wine is the main miracle from that passage that most people pull out. But actually, I want to unpack the event even more today. Now, I need to caveat that this is my interpretation. Now, I have read various different um, translations. I have read study notes. I've read other people's interpretations of this story. And I want to encourage you to as well. You know, we are called to study God's word, not just to read it. It's so important that with the Bible, we look at the context, we look at the situation, we look at who was it written to, who was it written for. Um, The Bible has been translated so many times and it's really important that we don't lose some of those essential things when we are looking at passages in our Bibles. Um, So, some of it I've taken a bit of artic- um, a bit of artistic license with. Um, I love to paint a picture. I think like most people, whenever they're reading anything, in order to bring it to life, um, you need to imagine the characters. You need to imagine yourself there. And uh, I love doing that with the Gospels. I love doing that with all the Bible, um, but particularly the Gospels. And this one's no different. 
So where we land is Jesus is starting his transition between boy to man. He has selected some of his disciples, but not all. So some of them have assembled, but not the full uh, 12. And right in the middle of this, he is invited to a wedding. The wedding is in a town called Cana in Galilee. He was a local lad. Now, in those days, weddings were a big event. They were a big celebration. The whole town would have been invited. Now, I've never been to a wedding that big. I've been to some big weddings, but none where the whole town has been invited. And actually, it would have been uh, very disrespectful to have turned down an invitation. Now, the first thing is, I love the fact that Jesus was there just to socialise, to be a part of the town. He would have known the people getting married. He would have known the other people in the, the crowds and in the congregation. And he was there to hang out, uh, to have fun um, and just be a part of a normal everyday life event. Um, and he was there with his mum, Mary, and the disciples that he'd already um, chosen, um, as I say. So we can find this story, the, the translation of this event, in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And um, now this is almost a standalone incident. There's no big public great teaching or statement being made the things that happen were known about by just a few now I don't know how much word would have spread um, I'm sure it would have um, but at no point did Jesus get up and make a big speech as far as we know uh, neither did his disciples nor did his mum um, and as I say, the more I ponder, the more I think about this account, the more I love what it shows about Jesus and his deep love for people. And it confirms to me that he is a God I can follow all of my life. Here is a God I can put my trust in and who I want to be like. This passage gives us a glimpse of God's majesty his capability, and as I say, his overwhelming love for people. Now we need to remember, and this is, this is mind-blowing, that Jesus is both human and God. So, holding that in mind, let's dive in. So, we join them at, at the wedding, and... Um, Mary's there. Now, I love anything in the Bible that talks about Mary. Um, 
as I said, I'm the children and families pastor at Skylark Church. And uh, I often say to the children, you know, if you could meet anyone from the Bible, who would you like to meet? And for me, it would, other than Jesus, uh, be Mary. I'd love to just grab a coffee with Mary and chat to her about parenthood, chat to her about what it was like raising the son of God, chat to her about what it was like to watch him from a distance. Um, and in this passage is a lovely, intimate, but brief interaction between mother and son. So let's have a look. Now, what also interests me is that Mary knew about the problem. The problem was they had run out of wine. Now, it's difficult, and I've been thinking about this, it's difficult to find a modern day equivalent um, to this situation. Because, as I said, in the cultural context that we find ourselves in this event was that it would have been a hugely embarrassing thing for the the groom's party, for the wedding party, to have run out of wine. Now, weddings went on for about a week. Um, as I said, guess, the guest list would have been huge. And everyone needed to be accounted for. The catering needed to be accounted for. Running out of wine would actually have gone against some very traditional uh, rules about hosting and being hospitable. So this situation not only would have been embarrassing, but actually that embarrassment would have brought shame on the family. Social standing was really, really important. Um... And Mary would have known this and Jesus would have known this. So whether now this this problem would not have been broadcasted. People would not have wanted to know, would not have wanted other people to know that the wine had run out. This was not something to be broadcast. But yet Mary knew. So Mary must have been on the inner circle, whether she knew one of the servants, whether she knew someone um, close by in, in the bridal uh, party, whether they even knew themselves or whether it was the servants that were dealing with it all. She had become aware of the problem and she told Jesus. Whether she wanted him to solve the problem or whether she... and, and whether she was just wanting to let him know, um, it's not clear. I like to think that this is God's mum. She knows Jesus. She has raised him. She knows he is the son of God and she knows he is destined for greatness. She knows he's on the cusp of starting his ministry. She would have known that he started to gather his people um, who would be around him. He started to gather his disciples because they were there at the wedding and she takes this problem to him. Now, I love this interaction. Let's hear what Jesus said. Jesus, so we're in verse three and it says, the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. 
big problem. Dear woman, it is not our problem. Now, firstly, I have two sons. If either of them addressed me as a woman, we would be having a chat. But anyway, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Now, what an answer. Um, if you read the Gospels and you look at Jesus's response to things, it is not unusual for him to respond in this kind of way, to respond with almost a, a riddle or a poetic response or responding to a situation with a question or a challenge. Now, I like to think that this isn't anything new. I imagine Mary, um, who had parented Jesus, along with Joseph, um, would have been used to these kind of responses. I mean, can you imagine having that kind of interaction with your children? Um, and I think that actually um, Jesus likes us. God likes us to be a part of the unfolding of what he's trying to explain and what he's trying to do. With God, he's forever taking us on a journey to learn more about him, to learn more about who he is and his character because he wants us to take on those characteristics. He wants us as Christians to represent him, to be his people on the ground, his hands and his feet. Um, if he spelt everything out, then how much learning takes place in that? Um, now, yeah, so he, he replies in this, this way. My time has not yet come. What does Mary do? How does she respond? Now, I like to think, again, this is a bit of artistic license, but I like to think she's had this response from her son and there's almost like a an eye roll. Like, here we go. I know. In her wisdom, what she does in verse five, she said, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Because she knows, she knows that where Jesus goes, nothing stays the same. And uh, she instructs the servants to follow him and to do what he tells them. Because she knows that something's going to happen. She knows his love for people. She knows that he, he doesn't want people to sit in shame he doesn't want people to be embarrassed. He doesn't want this celebration, this social event to be tarnished, to be anything less than a celebration. And uh, so what he does is um, he tells the, the servants, so we're in verse six now, he says to them, um, so there were six stone water jars. Now these jars would have been filled with water and they would have been there for cleansing, for washing hands, for, for getting people clean. Um, and he said, uh, fill, fill these to the brim with water. Um, which the servants did. And then in verse eight, he said, now dip out uh, some and take it to the master of ceremonies. 
I wonder at what point did it turn to, to wine? Was it in the, the, the tipping out? Was it in the, um, in the walk to the master of the ceremonies? How would those servants have felt? They must have really trusted him because it would have been their necks on the line. They were the ones that were taking this cup to the master of ceremonies to taste the wine, to see if it was acceptable to, to start serving. And uh, what happens again is, is just beautiful because a miracle has happened. And verse nine, when the master of ceremonies tastes the water that is now wine, not knowing where it had come from, of course, the servants knew. He called to the bridegroom and he said, a host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Now, there's so much in there. I love that when Jesus blesses, he, when God blesses, he doesn't just do the bare minimum. I love that not only did he turn water into wine, that he turned it into the best wine, the finest wine, wine that the master of the ceremonies was astounded that had been held back until now. I love the fact that he used the stone jars that were there for cleansing, a link to another time where Jesus was with his disciples sharing wine, that last supper that he had before he then went to the cross, where he took the wine and, and remember the water was from stone jars that were used to cleanse and in the Last Supper, he took the wine and he said, this is my blood given for you. It was the blood of Christ that has cleansed us. It was Jesus sacrificing himself, putting himself in our place for all the stuff that we've done wrong. He took the punishment. He paid the price for us. And here we see that link between cleansing, being made clean and wine, which then later on represented his blood. This was before his ministry took off. All of that just paints such a beautiful picture. And who got the credit? As far as we can see, it was not Jesus. Now, Jesus knew what was going to happen, I'm sure. He knew what the miracle was going to be, surely. But he wasn't the one that took the wine. He allowed the servants. I love that Jesus wants to partner with us. He wants us to be a part of what he does. I would love that he wants us by his grace and his mercy and his love for people. He wants us to be a part of what he does. The servants took the wine. And then who took credit? Who, who got the credit? It wasn't Jesus, it was the bridegroom. It was his celebration, him and his new bride and their families. And it was them. Now, maybe they were a bit puzzled and a bit surprised by what had happened. I don't know how much they knew about the wine that had been catered for. But they got the glory. They were the ones that got the praise. 
So often we can tell so much from someone's character by the things that happen when we think nobody else is looking or when we don't think the spotlight is on us. This for me was a situation where Jesus could have launched his career in quite a spectacular way, but he didn't. He allowed this event to stay intimate between his disciples because it goes on to say that the disciples profoundly impacted by this. It confirmed to them that, yeah, this is the guy that we should be following. We made the right choice. We've packed up everything, left our lives and we are following him and we are committed to him. This is a guy that we can follow. It spoke to the servants. They were servants the lowest of the low in those times, they were allowed to be a part of this miracle. In what other situation would that have happened other than one that, that Jesus is involved with? Now, we've heard before that the church building may be closed for us at the moment but we are called to be the church, God's representatives. We were never meant to remain in the building, just as Jesus didn't. You read the Gospels, get hold of a Bible or a Bible app, an audio version, however you um, connect best with the Bible. Read the Gospels, look at the life of Jesus, look at God, who we are called to follow. And where is he? Yes, he goes to the temple and there are a few accounts, one when he was a child and then later when he was a man that he goes to the temple and he loves the temple. There are um, the, the next thing that happens in the Bible after this event is that he goes to the temple and he's angry by what he sees because people aren't respecting the house of God. But everything else happens outside the temple building it happens in people's homes it happens on the streets it happens with his friends his family it happens with strangers Jesus meets people where they are at he meets you and me where we're at and that's what he calls us to be and to do to take on his characteristics. So I believe that in order to follow him, to truly follow him, to be led by him, and to, we need to take on his characteristics. And that is part of being the church. So I want to put some challenges out to you today. If you're new to all of this, Maybe you've never chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe you've toyed with it in your head. Maybe you're listening to it, this message today, for a reason unknown to you. Um, I would recommend, just as we've heard from Gav and from Pete in previous sermons, to take the first step. And to look further into who Jesus is. Because this passage shows the God that I follow. The God 
that I have fallen in love with, who is full of love, full of humility, full of fun, full of grace. That's the God that I follow. That's the God that you can read about in the Bible, that you can get to know. Maybe you want to make that decision right here, right now, and the first time to follow, to follow him for the first time. And it's really easy. All you just need to say is, God, here I am. I know I've messed up in life. I know I've made mistakes and I've got things wrong. But I also know that you are God and I want to follow you. I know that you went to the cross and you paid the price for those things I have done wrong because you love me. And where I am not worthy, you have made me worthy by what you did on the cross and that you forgive me when I come to you and I say sorry. And I want to follow you. I want to be in relationship with you and to follow you. And then start your relationship with him. Start that friendship. But maybe you're watching this as someone who already follows Jesus. And can I challenge you to maybe reread some of those well-known gospel stories? How many of you know the story of the wedding in Cana? Maybe inside and out. Why don't you this week grab your Bibles read one of the Gospels and just pray that God gives you fresh, new insight, new revelation. Do you know, I can easily fall into the habit of, um, in order to understand the Bible and, and read the Bible, I, I like to buy books and hear what other people have said about it and watch, po uh, listen to podcasts and, and watch, um, you know, YouTube clips and everything to, to understand it better, which is great to do. And I don't want to say don't do that. But um, a very wise woman once said to me, God can give you those revelations too. God wants to speak to you about passages in the Bible too. So can I urge you this week to grab your Bible and reread it with fresh eyes. Look for Jesus's character Look for the person that you are following. There was a, a great quote I heard this week, and I apologise because I am rubbish at remembering statistics and remembering the authors of um, people. So these are not my words. Um, and I'm probably not even going to get the, the quote quite right. But it said something like, how we live out our lives as Christians should make non-believers question whether they believe what they believe. And what that's saying is actually how I live out my life as representing God should make other people question 
what is their life built on? What's my life built on? Who am I following? Get to know the character of Jesus. Now, also, I want to encourage um, people to start letting go of the, some of the things you're holding on to. Because maybe the challenge you need to hear this morning is, are you following him in all areas of your life? Or just some? Are you letting him lead you in all areas or just some? Are there some areas of your life that are off limits? Can I encourage you to start letting go of those things that you're holding on to? Maybe trying to sort out or solve on your own. I believe Mary in this instance didn't know how Jesus was going to solve the problem. But I believe that she knew he would. Maybe she thought he'd just go out and find some more wine. That would be the logical thing. That maybe Jesus knew about a secret supply or had some contacts that would be able to help them out with a, a nice few cases of wine. I can't imagine that she... Um, would have expected him to solve this problem in the way that he did. Maybe we need to release things into God's hands, not knowing how he's going to solve the problem or help us, or maybe it's a situation that he will just hold our hands and walk through it with us, but that we trust that he will, that he that we trust that he would help us in those difficult situations. Thank you for listening. If indeed you have kept with me, I am praying God's first and best over you and your families. And I pray that you would get to know Jesus deeper and more fuller. See you soon. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for that inspiring and challenging message. I, for one, definitely want to become more like Jesus, to follow him well and to adopt more of his characteristics day by day. So if you're feeling that same way, why don't we pray together now? Lord, we want to follow you well each and every day. We want to be those who become more like you, who are transformed by your love, by your kindness, by your grace, and by your goodness, and who extend each of your characteristics to the world around us. Where you've highlighted specific areas of your character that you want to embed more deeply into us, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to each of us. And as we go into this week and all that it will hold, I pray your blessing over each and every person joining us online today. Would you be close to us? May we know your presence with us in the big things and in the small. Amen.
Well, all that remains for me to do today is to let you know that tonight we have our prayer and worship Zoom at seven. Always an amazing time to join together, to pray for each other in smaller clusters and to worship together and enjoy God's presence. So do join us at seven if you're able, but for me right now, it's time to hit the beach. So love you guys, have a great week.